Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to talk about the negotiations between Churchill and Roosevelt over the subject of the Lend-Lease Agreement and uh, before I go any further, firstly I want to apologise for the interruption we had earlier this week, um, some technical issue regarding the pod feed and thanks for your patience and kind messages of support much appreciated but normal service as you can see has resumed. Following the uh, election of uh, Franklin Roosevelt, the re-election of Franklin Roosevelt in the election of 1940 where he uh, defeated Wendell Wilkie and if you want to listen to that one it's uh, a month or two ago I recorded that. The realities of Britain's war with Nazi Germany uh, came uh, crashing home, the British revealed candidly in a visit from Lord Lothian that uh, the uh, British were bankrupt and they needed uh, intense funding from the United States to continue the war. At LaGuardia Airport in New York, he uh, said to the awaiting press pack, Well, boys, Britain's broke, it's your money we want. It was probably no secret to anyone in the British government that this day would arise. Um, at the start of 1939, um, before the war even began, the British Treasury had started to uh, make sure all the gold um, holdings, all the securities and uh, dollars, that, um, dollar balances that were held by British nationals and held in British banks, um, were uh, acquired by the Treasury. US imports were uh, curtailed. There was uh, there were essentially uh, limits put on the amount of US imports because obviously imports create an outflow of currency from the importing country to the exporter. And in the case of America, this was really something that could not be uh, allowed, uh, partly because, well, entirely because the cash was going to be needed to buy other things from America, such as armaments later on. 
The problem in terms of British diplomacy is the British had large quantities of their own currency, but their own currency can obviously buy their own things. It was the lack of dollars that was the problem. And by Christmas time 1940, the uh, dollar reserves were all but gone. The dollars that were left were to pay for orders that had already been placed, and there was nothing there that could pay for new orders. And the dilemma that the British presented to the Americans was simple. If you do not pay for the war from now on, nobody will, and it will be lost very quickly. On the 3rd of December, the Secretary of War, Henry Stimson, uh, invited Treasury Department specialists and uh, uh, officials from the various uh, war ministries um, of the, the US government, the war departments of the US government, the Navy, uh, etc., to his home. And there was a, uh, a meeting where this was spelt out. Um, Secretary of the Navy said bluntly, we are going to pay for the war from now on, are we? Um, to which um, Treasury Secretary Henry Morgenthau said, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to let them place more orders or not? And this was really the crux of Roosevelt's policy, his short-of-war policy. And the options facing the USA were either to finance the war so that the British could continue fighting it to allow Nazi Germany to win, or to allow the British to lose and eventually to have the sole um, responsibility for fighting the war in US hands later on. And of those three, the easiest one was to uh, fund the British so that they could continue the struggle. And Knox simply responded to Morgenthau's question in the most direct way of saying, got to, no choice about it. So it's interesting, when you look at these internal calculations and the stark realities that the British presented the Americans with, the, uh, the, the clear logic was to help Britain. It was uh, eminently within uh, America's interest to allow a uh, British uh, struggle to continue and to prevent an entirely fascist Europe from emerging. There were some legislative hurdles to get over, however. In 1934, the Johnson Act prohibited loans to be made to countries that had defaulted on their First World War debts, and any debts remaining on the books um, made it ineligible for further loans to be issued. Britain hadn't defaulted, but there were still debts to be repaid. Roosevelt at this point was taking a lengthy post-election vacation in the Caribbean on a US warship. Um, his health, uh, as ever, was a significant issue and he needed to, to rest. And it was at this point that um, a letter arrived from Churchill. And this letter has been assessed by some historians as being really, um, as historian Warren Kimball puts it, the epitaph to the British Empire. It was a frank admission that whilst Britain could go on uh, fighting the war and uh, at least holding the enemy at bay, that uh, the ability to uh, create munitions to fight with, the ability to use war industries, British war industries effectively to defeat Nazism, and the ability to finance it all 
was had long since gone. It's not to say that British Britain's war industries were um, completely um, unviable. Far from it. British war production throughout the war uh, surpasses that of Nazi Germany uh, considerably. But in order to uh, conclusively defeat Nazism and to um, have a open up a second front in Europe and all the things that were required, Britain no longer had the financial and the industrial heft or even the manpower to do it. Churchill wrote, It takes between three and four years to convert the industries of a modern state to war purposes. By that reckoning, the United States would need at least two more years to reach maximum industrial effort. He added that during that period, Britain would hold the front and grapple with Nazi power until the preparations of the US are complete. However, the problem that Britain had was um, particularly the cash and carry provisos where the British must pay cash up front and must uh, use its own ships in order to carry munitions and other uh, items across the Atlantic. The uh, carry part of it was the, was the problem. Churchill said there was a mortal danger of um, steady losses, steady and increasing diminution of sea tonnage, that um, shipping losses that were unsustainable at their current rate and that Britain might run out of the means of carrying armaments across the ocean. The, uh, he said, uh, we may fall by the way and by the time uh, and the time needed by the United States to complete her defensive preparations may not be forthcoming. Churchill was being disingenuous there as well. He knew full well that he was implying that, uh, from his point of view, America would eventually and inevitably join the war. What he was suggesting in the letter by talking about defensive preparations was that America only is suggesting to Roosevelt that America only had a short period of time before it would need to defend itself. Whether or not Hitler had plans to uh, attack America directly is a, a really kind of debatable and a, a moot point that we'll hopefully address another time. But it was uh, all Churchill's language and rhetoric was about uh, trying to present to Americans the idea that they pay, faced just as dire a threat to their security as the British did, which probably wasn't quite the case. Churchill finally in the letter got round to the question of money and he said, Last of all, I come to the question of finance. The more rapid and abundant the flow of munitions and ships which you are able to send to us, the sooner will our dollar credits be exhausted. The moment approaches when we shall no longer be able to pay you cash for shipping and other supplies. What was utmost in Churchill's anxieties was that the assets of the British Empire would then have to be sold uh, in order to pay the bill for munitions, uh, just as any uh, company would have to uh, liquidate its assets in order to re remain afloat. So Churchill certainly didn't want to entertain this possibility. He said, It would be wrong if Great Britain were to be divested of all saleable assets, so that after victory was run with our blood, 
civilization saved and time gained for the United States to be fully armed against all eventualities, we should stand stripped to the bone. We here would be unable, after the war, to purchase the large balance of imports from the United States. Not only should we in Britain uh, suffer cruel privations, but widespread unemployment in the United States would follow the curtailment of American exporting power. Churchill in the letter is clearly confident that American intervention would win the war. He has no doubts that an American intervention on Britain's side, uh, even without troops being deployed, but with uh, the, the, a lend-lease agreement, would be effective enough to defeat Nazism. And I suspect Churchill probably looked upon lend-lease as being the first step in the process of America actively engaging in the war. And Churchill was uh, canny enough to present uh, to uh, Roosevelt not only um, a justification for Britain hanging on to its empire whilst receiving huge amounts of aid from uh, America, but also an economic rationale that it wouldn't be in America's interests to bankrupt Great Britain by asset-stripping the British Empire in return for arms. Roosevelt, a week later, after having read the letter, spoke directly to Churchill via a press conference. Um, He said that the best immediate defence of the United States is the success of Great Britain in defending itself. He talked about the money directly. He said, I've read a great deal of nonsense in the last few days by people who can only think in what we may call traditional terms about finances. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. He uh, said, uh, now, what I am trying to do is to get rid of the silly, foolish old dollar sign. What he was suggesting was that the uh, issue at stake to America uh, was uh, far greater and far more significant uh, than money. 
um, and he suggested that the value of helping the British transcended uh, cash transactions. And he spoke in uh, the now famous analogy uh, of talking about if a neighbour's house was on fire and you needed uh, a garden hose to put it out, one wouldn't haggle about the price. One would loan him the hose and he would return it when the blaze was extinguished. He said, with the understanding um, that Britain would be helped uh, with whatever supplies she wanted, with uh, the understanding that when the show is over, we would get repaid something in kind, thereby leaving out the dollar mark in the form of a dollar debt and substituting it for a gentleman's obligation to repay in kind. I think you all get it. On the 29th of December, 1940, Roosevelt, in his fireside chats, said... If Britain goes down, the Axis powers will control the continents of Europe, Asia, Africa, Australasia and the high seas. And they will be in a position to bring enormous military and naval resources against this hemisphere. It is no exaggeration to say that all of us in the Americas will be living at the point of a gun. We must have more ships, more guns, more planes, more of everything. We must be the great arsenal of democracy. The nations already contending against Hitler do not ask us to do their fighting. They ask us for the implements of war. Emphatically, we must get those, those weapons to them in sufficient volume and quickly enough so that we and our children will be saved the agony and suffering of war which others have had to endure. So this was still Roosevelt's short-of-war strategy. The um, and he was articulating that very clearly to the American people, and perhaps nothing else would have been acceptable at that phase anyway. However, Roosevelt himself knew that this had a lifespan. Um, he said to Henry Stimson, "We cannot permanently be in the position of toolmakers for other nations to fight." The granting of aid to Britain or the hope that aid would be repaid in kind after the war. This action couldn't be simply done by Roosevelt as an executive action. Instead, it had to be done um, as a congressional great debate. Um, Roosevelt said to Henry Morgenthau, uh, we don't want to fool the public. We want to do this thing right, out and out. Uh, Roosevelt knew that if he was uh, seen to be disingenuous in any way, there would be a public backlash against helping Britain and it would be a catastrophe. The uh, great debate was called on January the 6th, 1941, in Congress, where he was, uh, well, Roosevelt announced that he was sending um, the Lend-Lease Bill to Congress. And he reminded Congress of the four freedoms that he believed that America would be supporting the British in fighting for. Uh, the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion, the freedom from want and the freedom from fear. The four freedoms which were part of Roosevelt's uh, public relations campaign were articulated in a very famous poster. You may have seen it with four images of um, the sanctity and security of American family life. And it was painted by Norman Rockwell, uh, the uh, later uh, pop art um, artist of uh, 1960s fame. There was a nod in the uh, Four Freedoms uh, rhetoric 
um, and particularly the freedom from fear, um, towards the, the New Deal itself and the language that Roosevelt had used stating there was nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, now he was making it very clear, as he had done in his Arsenals of Democracy fireside chat, and he now did to Congress, that there was a great deal to fear. On January the 10th, the bill was debated, and popularity for Roosevelt, given his uh, election and the normal kind of a post-election bounce that any president gets. Uh, also, the and the popularity of the British cause, which had received um, a, a kind of a shot in the arm following the uh, victory the summer before of the RAF in the Battle of Britain, meant that the uh, the wind was in the favour of the the Lend-Lease Bill though the entire country seemed to be listening on the wireless to every single uh, iteration and nuance uh, of the discussion. And uh, there was an immense deal of public scrutiny and, and interest, as you can imagine there probably would be. Roosevelt sent his own advisers to London to coach Churchill in how to uh, address the American public on radio uh, he sent um, Harry Hopkins and Wendell Wilkie, um, whom he had defeated in the most recent uh, election, um, to speak directly to the, the American public. Uh, in a speech, Churchill said, We do not need the gallant armies which are forming throughout the American Union. We don't, do not need them this year, nor next year, nor any year that I can foresee. But we do need, most urgently, an immense and continuous supply of war materials and technical apparatus of all kinds. We need a great mass of shipping in 1942, far more than we can build ourselves. In part, the speech was to allay the fears, very credible fears, of the uh, American population that they would be dragged into a war and be dragged into war fighting for the survival of the British Empire. The reality was that Churchill certainly anticipated American soldiers coming to fight in Europe, and he was rather rather keen on that that outcome. Um, but it, the uh, objective that he was most focused on was uh, having arms and munitions shipped across the Atlantic as quickly as possible. And if by misleading the American public, he could help that happen far more quickly, then so be it. He ended the speech by saying, give us the tools and we will finish the job. Isolationists spotted this for what it was uh, very quickly and said that by giving munitions uh, on a almost grant basis to Britain, a uh, gratis basis, then it would make uh, the... USA uh, a, a co-belligerent of Great Britain and it would create the casus belli for war uh, against America uh, in the eyes of Hitler. And despite what one might think of the isolationists and their, uh, their, their views, um, they were right on that, for, that score um, emphatically. And they knew precisely that this would end in America being drawn into a shooting war with Nazi Germany. For some, even in Roosevelt's circles, 
Lend-Lease came too close to um, actually drawing America into the war itself. Roosevelt was no pushover though, and he made sure that every last penny, every last penny in um, uh, dollars that the uh, British held uh, was transferred to the USA. A USS warship um, sailed to Cape Town to collect $50 million uh, in British gold reserves. Um, the British um, Treasury officials in New York came under immense pressure uh, from US Treasury um, officials to liquidate any reserves uh, of US currency that uh, the British held. Uh, London obviously didn't like this very much, and the response of Henry Morgenthau was, what is in the mind of the ordinary citizen is that England yet hasn't gone far enough. It is a matter of, well, convincing the general public of the determination of just how far the English businessman is ready to go. It is a psychological matter as much as anything else. The most fateful aspect of the, the Lend-Lease Bill was the decision uh, to provide naval escorts, uh, a US naval escort on the Atlantic to ensure that US ships uh, in convoys uh, managed to make it to Britain and the uh, possibility of the commencement of uh, a shooting war with German U-boats or aircraft was uh, greatly heightened at this point. A no convoy clause was inserted by Congress, but uh, the president's uh, allies knew that the president already had executive powers to order naval vessels to protect American shipping anywhere in the world, and he would be more than happy to use his executive prerogative if um, any, there was any perceived threat to American shipping, which obviously there would be. And at this point, it was Roosevelt's um, point. Roosevelt's turn to be disingenuous um, by saying escorting would lead to uh, shooting to, the, to Germany uh, and America firing one another. And he said, and shooting comes awfully close to war, doesn't it? That is about the last thing we have in our minds. Certainly that was not the case. The bill was passed in uh, March 1941 with a, a majority 60 to 31 in the Senate and 317 to 71 in the House. The opposition primarily came from the Republican Party and was uh, staunchly based in the Midwest, which was uh, the most isolationist part of the country. And it was signed uh, on March the 11th by Roosevelt, um, and uh, Congress approved uh, a first uh, $7 billion for the shipments. Uh, the New York Times made an interesting point. It said that this was a success. He said, it said, the day when the US uh, ended the Great Retreat, which began with the Senate rejection of the Treaty of Versailles and the League of Nations, our effort to find security in isolation has failed. By the final passage of our Lend-Lease Bill, we confess its failure. And it makes Lend-Lease an interesting kind of postscript to uh, what began in uh, 1919 at the Paris Peace Conference and the uh, failure of Woodrow Wilson 
to engage America actively in uh, the stabilization of the world order and the crisis that had emerged um, as a result 20 years later was a, a kind of an, an indication of the severity of that failure. Anyway, um, I hope you found this interesting. We'll continue with this uh, in the near future, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Do pop by the Facebook page, say hi. We had some great comments there recently. It's great to it's great to get to know you guys and uh, say hello. So pop by, and um, I'll catch up with you soon. All the best. Bye bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.